pressing play in three, two, one. All right, the Netflix logo showing. The Marvel logo is showing. And we are well on our way. There he is. We get our first shot at one of the heroes of this tale. He's holding a bag. Maybe that has some bats or some hockey sticks in there or something like that. And he has a son named Maddie that has gone through a horrendous accident that involves a lot of people and the barrels of toxins that's going to affect many more they seem to be focusing a lot on the child here something about him going blind it seems to be his father and The hell is this? It, this isn't Ninja Turtles? What? Oh, man. We're watching Daredevil. Are you kidding me? I I thought we were watching Ninja Turtles. The the barrel, the toxins, they, they get into the sewer and... Uh, oh, man. Anyways, all right. Well, let's watch Daredevil then. Who cares? Let's just let's just go with it. I am your host, the Daredevil Prophet, and this is my commentary, Daredevil. The first episode, Into the Ring. Very, very, very good episode. This is pretty much the part where the the excitement is kind of wearing off. You really don't know what you're watching at this point if you're a Daredevil fan because you're just so damn excited that, you know, they they put it together. Marvel put it together. They cast this great guy that we've heard about with Charlie Cox in, and uh, Joe Quesada has been talking about him. He's been on, uh, he's talked with Kevin Smith. He's he's on the interwebs and, and all that good stuff to where it's kind of like, you know, he kind of, foreseeing you know that that this uh that this british actor would play uh daredevil and and that they would get him you know he was he was that confident and he would have conversations with jeff Loeb and and all that kind of stuff and and it happened you know it happened so i'm it's it's just really exciting to see their vision come to pass of what they want and how they want to kind of bring it forward and and for me at this point it's kind of like okay the this the the excitement is wearing off a little bit you're trying to you're trying to start to focus on the story but it, it's just hard like he's talking about his dad and and how he was and it's this point man this point the first time i watched this i was already breaking down crying i had tears in my eyes same as charlie cox here in this scene is going on uh, in this long scene of just exposition and dialogue and it's really not exposition at all he's just kind of um setting a lot of things up about who his father is that in turn turn uh, it it helps to set up who he is and about uh, what he's done and this is a, a very important scene because we see his the emotionality in his eyes and then he puts the glasses on boom right there and he has that cold look in his face, right? Like he's emotionless at that point. And from this point forward, you really hardly ever see any emotionality except for when he's talking to a uh, night nurse and stuff like that. You know, he's really very reserved. And this shot right here, it's very, very cool because 
he's just in his own head and he already has his mind made up of what he's going to do and how he's going to approach it um and so you kind of get that last plea in the confessional of you know this this is what's going on underneath the surface but when he puts those glasses on then he is that character for most most of the uh, of the show and so we do kind of get a glimpse of that emotionality right there at the beginning um but if you're new to daredevil you don't know what it means you just know that there's a lot of turmoil there and here's his first shot of him in the black costume which when i first seen it i was kind of like uh well, okay that's cool you know when is he gonna uh, get into the red costume i was so anxious to see that but the more and more i saw pictures of this when it was coming out and uh the more footage i was seeing in the trailers and all that stuff like it's functional like it it's fine it looks really cool it really grows on you and that's that's the thing about this show is that i don't know to me like i'm still stuck in 2003 where fucking ben affleck was you know he had his chin out there and you know he had the red leather and stuff and it was kind of like you know that sold me on the practicality part because it was kind of like you know this that was a sped up shot right there it looks like you know the leather is practical you know he is human he does need something to kind of uh, protect his body against but he doesn't get there yet this is before he gets to that kind of practicality to where he has practicality in terms of of how he's able to move but as we see later on in the show it doesn't really provide enough protection for him to go out and get his ass beat and all that shit so he's got to um he's got to use his wit and his skill and stealth and uh his uh, skill at throwing batons, like just like he did right there, uh, did it again. He's a uh, he's already starting out as this guy who is on the hunt for uh, for this uh, these crime syndicates. And there's a there's Turk, um, Turk. That character just makes me smile every time I see him. Every time I see him in the comics. Every time you know he's in there in a story. Um, and every time he's been in the show, and this is a great shot right here of him just wailing away, I was just kind of like, oh, shit, like, this, this is not the Daredevil of the, this is not the PG-13 Daredevil that, that we knew in, uh, in 2003 by 20th Century Fox. This is a, this is a hard-edged, hard-boiled superhero, vigilante, anti-hero, um, you know, on his way, on his journey up to being a hero. Um, it's just, there is like that, uh, that element of surprise that, you know, you're not sure what to expect. And you don't, none of us knew what to expect when this show came out, but it's kind of like, man, I did not expect this right out of the gate. Just him wailing on people unapologetically, just kind of going at it. And that shot right there of of him duking it out um, uh, towards the camera, the, the camera just kind of looking straight at him, is uh, reminiscent of the shot that was in uh, the Daredevil movie where uh, where he's wailing on the the kid's father and and the kid is crying in the corner and he's like I'm not the bad guy, kind of a reminiscent shot of that. Um, so it's there are little beats and stuff like that that I'll call back to and i apologize in advance it's just it's just my mind going off you know see something that's kind of taken from somewhere else uh foggy's walking down the street here there was a burrito thing is that a uh deadpool chimichanga kind of uh reference there we'll never know probably but uh we do get an introduction to to matt and and to foggy um here and their relationship and it right off the bat they're already friends they're already comfortable with each other and talking about the uh, trying to get um trying to see what happened with the sex life uh, you know the night before if anything happened just like that that that's typical foggy i mean this is this is a kind of a, a typical foggy to where 
it's an updated Foggy. This is the kind of dimensional, three-dimensional figure that we would see today. You know, if if uh, you know, twenty-something or thirty-something-year-old guy um, was law partners with uh, with this with this blind guy that he went to high school with, you know, you would imagine that this is what he would be like. And so, I think his take on the uh, on the character uh, Elton Henson. His take is very, very contemporary. It's very uh, modern. It, it breathes new life into the character, um, but still retaining a lot of the uh, the old charm and the things, the the qualities that we love about Foggy. And that was that was the big test for this show is updating pretty much all the characters, or almost all the characters. Matt Matt is done justice. I think Wilson Fisk is done justice uh the look right here his uh his smile and all that stuff it's really cool and the glasses is kind of a it's kind of an interesting choice going with the circular uh glasses that that he has there uh once again you know i'm just kind of stuck on the uh the ben affleck shades and and whatnot but um but this works you know and and he also had the red cane and just everything everything is just different sometimes it just kind of feels like it's different f just for the sake of being different just so you know it kind of you know treads along its own path and doesn't beat upon you know the familiar path of the the, the 2003 film uh you know with him wearing you know the oxford shirt and the the textile you know cotton and stuff like that that the designers kind of talked about in interviews that you know they gave him sort of that kind of you know stuff that has texture and foggy with kind of the more playful you know patterns and stuff like that um just all that has a different feel and a different concept um he's not donning the red so he doesn't have the red hair you know he has the red glasses but you know it's very very muted colors here um because he doesn't wear red throughout this entire season and so you know he's he's um he doesn't know that he is daredevil you know the daredevil of red and and he's still finding himself and his uh his uh his moniker uh, you know as a vigilante here's our introduction to karen page and she's done something really really bad um great casting uh for karen page she can act uh, her ass off, and she does it in this first scene. You know, it's it's really, really kind of um, it's it's bold to have the introductory of or the introduction of one of your main characters um, involved in a in a murder scandal. But it's kind of a cool way to get uh, these new law guys um, in touch with Karen Page. Um, uh, there was a lot of things that needed updating with like Daredevil Yellow and stuff like that. And, you know, it was just kind of, it, was, it, it, it relished in its own time. Uh, you know, it relished in kind of the the 60s, which is when Daredevil first came out. And so Jeff Loeb's take on it just kind of relished in, in that sort of uh, romanticism and, and all that. And, and so a lot of the explanations were kind of chalked up to romanticism and stuff like that. So bringing it up to speed, bringing it up to date, still incorporating um, Karen Page, uh, who wasn't in Man Without Fear, uh, which is the book that everyone says that this was inspired by. Um, yes, it was, but you know, you're taking a a character that Frank never really touched on in a significant way, which is Karen Page. So they're left. The the show is left trying to find a way to adapt Karen Page to that sort of palette and, and that sort of tone. And so this is what they came up with for her introduction. It's a way to get her uh, uh, matched up with Foggy and, and, uh, and Matt very, very quickly. And um, they're even going to have like a, that little joke right there, which is in the trailer. Trailers kind of ruin things, and they also kind of, you know, they ramp up your excitement a lot more. Um, but 
the joke the jokes i think suffer the most and this has the least amount of jokes and um because it's a, it, it's a serious show like it, it just goes on and on with uh heavy exposition and heavy uh character building and world building and all that kind of stuff and it has a very very tight script you can tell and so the the very few jokes that you can kind of land uh along the way you know in the trailer you don't want to sell it as pretty much what it is you want to you want to show that there is a couple jokes in there and they do have them in the trailer but those are the best jokes and and they get you know they get into the wild before before the show the show hits and and so when you see the jokes it's it's kind of like yeah like heard that one seen that one um same thing that ruins you know movies all the time for me you know usually i could see a teaser trailer or sometimes not even that and i can get a good sense that i'm gonna like something um and so this was something that you know the trailers i've watched over and over and over again there's just something to wet my palate and um and, and so they do have some additions uh to the joke and all that stuff um but it just kind of comes and goes and you're kind of right back into it so that's probably a, a good thing to kind of make the show feel consistent with with its tone and stuff like that Here's our first introduction to one of Matt's abilities, which is being able to tell if someone's lying or not, which is ethical, unethical. You know, who knows? He's the only one who can really do it, except for Clark Kent. You know, Clark Kent can do it too. You know, he's done it in Smallville. Um, he's done it in Man of Steel. Um, I thought the in Man of Steel when he's a kid and you know his mom has to get him from school because he can see people's skeletons and shit like that I thought that was a really cool Daredevil scene like I was like this could be Daredevil you know not not him you know with the x-ray vision and, and all that stuff but him being able to hear everything and, and just have it uh, having his senses attack him and all that stuff and you know as as a kid you know that's totally that's totally Matt. That's totally Daredevil. That's that's his origin story growing up, and then uh, Stick comes by and and uh, and teaches him the ways of the Force. Um, but uh, Clark Kent didn't have that, you know. He had, he kind of had his dad, and they kind of refined him now to where he was this hardened man, to where he's like, "Don't tell your, you know, what your what gifts you have to anybody and stuff like that." So he's kind of like, you know, it kind of makes sense for Matt and Clark to kind of have that hardened old man figure that's going to tell him, you know, hey, use your use your gifts wisely. Don't, you know, put it out there for all the world to see because, you know, the NSA is going to come by and confiscate you and just kind of you'll never be seen or heard from again. You know, you'll just be kind of like this lab rat and you'll be experimented on. So where am I in the show here? Let me see. All right, so we've been introduced to a bunch of new characters. We've been introduced to Blake, uh, Officer Blake, who was also in the the Dark Knight Returns, who turned out to be Robin. Um, uh, Robert Blake was his name, Robert Blake, but Detective Blake. Uh, there's a Detective Blake um, in Dark Knight Rises. So, I mean, I don't know. When I heard that, that's the first thing that I heard of. Here's our introduction also to to Wesley. Who in this show his name is James Wesley instead of you know he's not Wow he's not uh, Wesley Owen or yeah Wesley Owen Welsh or whatever it's James so is it J Wow is that his name James Wesley Owen Welsh because I think that name is already taken by somebody uh, somebody from the Jersey Shore right like i think i've heard that name somewhere around before so i think it's just james wesley in the show um and then nobody calls him james except for king's kingpin's mother um god only knows how she knows that name of his when no one else calls him that but in the show he's pretty much just called wesley 
Um, so he's a cool character that you'll you'll love more and more as the show goes on, until he's inevitably killed off the show. Uh, spoiler alert! You know I'm gonna I'm gonna speak about all these commentaries, assuming that you've already seen the show. If you haven't seen the show and you've already um, listening to my commentary before you've done it. Um, you know, something that everybody will tell you, stop listening to this, go watch that, come back and watch it. It's just the right thing to do. Watch it. So that way you can, um, uh, listen to anything that anybody else has to say in context, um, uh, knowing how it begins and also how it ends and all that other stuff. So I'm going to be speaking about things about, uh, things that happen, uh, in the final episode, in this episode, uh, um, things that, you know, happen later on down the road and, and where it kind of all leads to to kind of tie it all together, um, which is kind of one of the main points about commentaries in the first place. So if you haven't seen it, shame on you. Go watch it first. For some reason, Foggy's playing around with the baseball. This is a cool scene. I, I I really, really like this when I first saw it because I was getting a sense when I first seen it, like I was getting a sense for what the show is, for, for what it's trying to do. Um, and, and I was still getting a sense of that. Uh, but right here, it's really cool because we can already see the effect of uh, Wilson Fisk. We can already see how he kind of controls things. This cop is obviously uh, being uh, blackmailed by Wesley and, and seen before about his his, uh, his daughter being hurt or killed or whatever. And so they get him to you know try and uh, attempt murder on Karen Page here, and. This cool. This is cool. This scream right here that she does. Oh man, that's so great because it's she's she's like an abandoned dog, you know, in a pound that that is being tortured, you know, by everyone around her, and she can't get out. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what she like reminds me of. Just completely helpless. Completely helpless helpless in, in the situation that she's in and she's asking for help screaming for help and you know who's who's going to help her if she can't even trust the own uh, you know the, the 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 cops or the security guards that, that have locked her up you know you know who, who is going to help her then so it's kind of a, a really really powerful moment all of all of Karen's scenes um right up right out the bat uh with uh Deborah Ann Wall just really 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 kind of um uh, powerful and, and very demanding for for her as an actress to 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 be in the first episode um and to have to you know get her scream on and all that stuff which sounds like fun um so we've already gotten into the the thick of the plot at this point, Matt Murdock is already trying to uh, look for clues as to why Karen um, the, is in the predicament that she's in, why they didn't try to kill her before, and why they are now trying to kill her actively, and um, and they have to protect her. And she's just kind of, you know, mopping around. You know, like she has, you know, 99 problems or whatever. Ugh, girls. No, just kidding, though. But, you know, she does have some some problems. People are trying to kill her. You know, she's a, you know, she was working for a union allied as a, as a receptionist. She becomes a receptionist for these, for these guys. You don't, you don't pair jack shit for anything. So... It's a it's a big come up for her. I mean, I would be kind of in distress too if I went from, you know, working for a big corporation to working for these guys who can't even pay you and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, somebody is trying to kill her, um, and she is kind of on the run. 
And this is the first scene where we have Matt, Karen, and Foggy together, um, like kind of in one shot to where they're, it has some semblance of it being kind of uh, social in a way. Um, here she's recording a, a statement to where um, to where they're 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 working on the case and stuff like that. But at, in this scene is where she kind of opens up and breaks down and all that kind of stuff. And she doesn't want to get involved with these guys because she likes them and doesn't want to uh, get them killed. Uh, like she got um, like she got Fisher killed. Um, so. So she's really trying to to hold back, and that's kind of what her intention is at the at this point. It's not to be, you know, facetious or lying or or anything like that, or or conniving or anything like that. She just she genuinely just doesn't want good people to get involved in in her situation because she's got a big target on her back right now, and uh, and these and these two guys are trying to help her. And this, this is the point where somebody could be watching this and say, okay, this is where it's going to get into the love triangle thing between Karen and Matt and Foggy. And we see the shot where she breaks down and Foggy's holding her in his arms. And Matt's like, you know, she's staying with me. She's coming home with me. And so it can be perceived as kind of like a, you know, competition thing going on. Matt and uh, Foggy gives uh, Matt this look like, is it the hell you are? I'm taking her home with me. You see this, this, this cute girl right here? Like, hell no. I'll be damned if, uh, if uh, she's, she's already in my arms. Like you lost Matt, you know, blind Matt, just, you know, leave her be like, I'm taking her home. But it doesn't go that way. It doesn't go that way. You know, we we think we're gonna get you know the the uh, the 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 love triangle here, but it doesn't. It never goes into that territory. It never does. And I think that that was a very very smart decision. Um, uh, a for Matt Murdock and B for Karen Bate for Karen Page because they're both um, people on missions. They're both they both have the same goal in the end to try and take down Union Allied and to take down Fisk and to take down criminals and all that stuff. Um, they just don't know that they're really working together um, in the beginning. They just kind of go off on their own paths and then they meet um, later on in the season. They kind of, that's when they uh, get together with Foggy and with uh, with uh, Ben Urich to try and uh, take down this big old crime syndicate here's the part where she breaks down and foggy being all loving and charming and understanding and all that stuff and 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 saying we're going to protect you which he does you know he has the baseball in the earlier scene but he has the uh the baseball bat that he kind of takes down some goons with um who are attacking karen so for some reason foggy likes baseball and even matt says you know uh that you know foggy's gonna pitch for the mets or something like that and foggy's talking about having a a, a company baseball team or softball team or something like that so for some weird reason foggy is really really into into baseball um but it's barely there but barely not there I love Matt's uh, apartment here. If I was a chick, I'd be there, you know, as often as I as I can. the The windows are cool. the um, The vibe is cool. Uh, you got the brick and and the the big like chandelier, uh, or not chandelier, but the big um, like cathedral like uh, windows and stuff like that. Um, it's just cool, man. It's a cool little little space that he's got. Um, except that blinding light right outside. And this this I couldn't understand when I first saw it. And even even uh, in the multiple viewings that I've done before, I was kind of like, you know, what was the point with that little beat of her pausing and looking at this thing? And and I don't know. I feel like there was a point. I 
I'm pretty sure there was a point to that, but I really don't. I, I I still don't get it. Like, like if there was a blinding light in front of me or a naked chick, like Karen is right there, um, you know, I choose option B. No, but the blinding light, I I feel like it has something to do with um, maybe helping him see or helping to block out um, things that are that are going on outside. Um, so that way it's that one thing that's shining over his house or I don't know if there's like audio coming out of that, that, uh, that billboard, um, that kind of makes his home like a sanctuary, like a, like a true home. Like he doesn't have to listen to everything that's going on outside or anything like that. Like it's something that, you know, he can truly come home to and unwind and, not have to think about the world because the world essentially is blocked out like his senses can't detect what's going on because of that one billboard so i think that that's kind of the setup that they're trying to do with that um billboard but i just i haven't put it together in my mind yet so um so that's what i'm taking it as kind of kind of similar to like the the church bell and uh in the in the daredevil movie and stuff like that so um so that's what I'm taking it as. And um, here's Charlie Cox without his glasses and with his hair all messed up and stuff like that. And his uh, 2005 goatee, which is, you know, pretty hard to pull off. But uh, Charlie Cox can pretty much do anything at this point that's Daredevil related. Uh, I have complete faith. Like, we know that he's under contract for multiple seasons. We know he's under contract for Defenders. We know he's under contract now for uh, for for films and stuff like that. So why in God's green earth that they're that are they not utilizing him in Civil War is beyond me. Uh, because you know he worked out a ton. You could tell for this for this first season, and um, and they should use him um, uh, at least as Matt Murdock as a lawyer, just just like they always did in uh, Fantastic Four and in Charles uh, the Incredible Hulk. And they had him dress up for a little bit in that. Um, he's he's great. He's great. His acting chops are great, uh, just as Matt alone. And uh, speaking of acting chops, as Matt, like here's the part uh, of of the episode where he's gonna confront Karen. And this is cool because Deborah Ann Wall's acting again, just not even really saying that much, but just kind of acting like she's in denial. And also that feeling of uncomfortability because, uh, you know, Matt's pretty much the true detective of this of the show, not Detective Blake. And, you know, Matt Murdock knows what's going on, you know, with people's hearts and if they're lying and stuff. And so he's going to confront and, and that's the thing too is that he has to confront Karen um, and ask her hard questions like he is now to find out what their reaction is going to be with their with their heartbeats and whether they're lying and stuff like that and so he has to put them in a uncomfortable place and he has to be mentally in a place to where this is a person that he's trying to protect and he's basically interrogating this this poor girl right now and she plays it off so well to where she just she looks uncomfortable and she feels like she doesn't have to you know hide anything visually because you know Matt's supposed to be blind so he's not supposed to pick up on that kind of stuff um but his his acting is great like his his still pose and and all that stuff is really really great because it's kind of like no, I, I, I can't see, but he's he's giving off that he can. And then that kind of like, you know, that kind of look that she gives right there, that's just kind of like, okay, I'm off the hook. Here's our introduction to a Union Allied building. They're building it, they're constructing it. And so this is placed in, in a time after the Avengers where, the, the Shatari has come down. They've destroyed New York, um, a lot of it. And this company, Union Allied, has come in to quickly begin uh, production on uh, revamping Hell's Kitchen, particularly. 
probably other parts of, of New York, um, but just repair New York to the way it, it used to be and to do rapid construction and, and a lot of other things like that. And so the head of that is uh, uh, Wesley, uh, not Wesley, uh, Leland here, uh, the old guy in the glasses. Uh, I'll just call him Leland. I won't call him the owl because he's not the owl, um, which they kind of tell you very, very, very late in the season. Um, but you pretty much have him as uh, the bookkeeper. You have Madame Gao, you have the Russians, you have Nobu. Um, and uh, his son Simba comes in later on and um, and he gets killed. So that's like a plot twist um, to the Lion King story is that instead of the father getting killed, the son gets killed. Um, and then you have Wesley here who is kind of the stand-in. And this is the reason, you know, I talked about it in, in episode four of my podcast to where I was like, you know, we don't need to see Wilson Fisk right away. We can take our time. We don't have to see him for the first, like, whole film or first, like, couple couple hours. And so this is exactly what they do in this show as well, is that they don't introduce you to the power or they don't introduce you to the man who's behind the power, but they introduce the power very, very early on in the very first scene that, that Wesley's in. He's already... You know, he's already getting people to do what what he wants and bending their will to his or, or to, to the kingpins. And so he's he's being very controlling, but also being behind the scenes. And that's Wilson Fisk, man. That's that's more more than any other kingpin, more than more than kingpin himself. It's Wilson Fisk. It's just how he would do things. And the interesting way that he kind of does what he does in the comics that's different from this show is he actually is kind of nice and he does have respect for the people that are working with him and around him and and, and this sort of this sort of five headed monster with uh, with these five guys um, who are in charge. You know he doesn't see them as his subordinates he doesn't see them as lower than him he sees them as partners and um, he sees some of them as very good friends that he respects and that you know he'll he'll take their advice and whatnot and um and, and it's just a different way to portray the kingpin which i thought was very brilliant um but you still get the fact that he's the kingpin that he can run things whenever he wants, take things into his own hand, hands, but that will escalate things uh, uh, for himself, and that's how we get into this whole story with uh, with Wilson Fisk later on, to where he loses uh, a lot of uh, cards to kind of play with after a while, because he's, you know, he's chopping people's heads off and stuff like that, and so you can't do that, you know, without you know, when you burn bridges, the less dimensionality you have as a as a crime boss and all that stuff. So, um, so it's interesting that he starts off as somebody who's uh, you know polite, even timid to Vanessa when we see him interacting with her for the first time. It's a really great scene. We'll get to that. Um, uh, but right now we don't get him. We get uh, we get Wesley. And uh, we get a demonstration of his power without getting the man behind that. So I think that that's really cool. Um, and it sets up this sort of aura of um, how prominent a kingpin in Hell's Kitchen can be and how powerful he can be. Now here's a scene where Karen tries to sneak out. You know, if you're blind and even if you're not Matt Murdock and you don't have imbued senses, you can probably hear stuff a lot better because you rely on your hearing probably more than any of your other remaining senses um, if if you're blind I would imagine um, hearing is very very big to you it becomes your eyeballs in a sense and so she tries to sneak out doesn't happen Matt awakens and he's going to follow her 
Um, and so she's getting the, the very thing that she just lied about in the previous scene. And somebody is there waiting for her. Surprise, surprise. And this guy is supposed to be a hired uh, contract killer. Um, uh, Wilson Fisk kind of refers to him as, you know, he is supposed to be a professional. And he got taken out by this man in black. Um, so he's supposed to be a very, very good um, contract killer. And here comes Daredevil. And um, for our first sort of big fight sequence, um, besides that kind of opening one, this is this one is really cool because there's a lot a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat that's going on there um for some reason everyone has to you know fight with a knife um but really really great stunt work here and this is the point right here when he throws him up against the wall which is going to happen in a few seconds boom like about right there this is the part where like it really really felt like the born ultimatum um and the born series and they reference that sh that um that show or those the 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 movies with paul greengrass who's one of my favorite directors um and, and it just i i got that vibe i got that vibe and i didn't even know that they had done the interview i try to read as uh the the least amount as possible but i definitely got that born vibe uh from it yeah, which is which is really great. It, it's really cool when you can kind of see eye to eye with what they were going for, and I think that was really rewarding for me to see that um, earlier. Um, but like as I was watching it, and then to read about it later on, and just kind of be like, yeah, that's kind of what we were, we what we were always going for as far as the action goes. Um, so here's the thing about the flashbacks. You know, we're going back. He knocks out, you know, it could be three seconds, it could be three minutes, or even three hours, who knows. Um, but we're flashing back, and we're, we're getting some backstory to, to him and his father. Um, and it's really cool because now we have two linear stories that are going on. We have him as, as a boy and him as a man. And they're all happening in linear fashion. So as a boy, his story begins with uh, with him being blinded. And um, and so he's already blind at this point. And so it's easy to follow his backstory, even though they flash back over the course of the whole series and mainly just the first two episodes. Um, it's all happening in linear fashion. And we get little tidbits here and there. Boom. We automatically flash back. There's him with the blood. That's the money shot that's in the trailers. And uh, here comes attacker. You know, he's going to grab his knife right now. And I mentioned the knife because Kick-Ass, when, when the movie Kick-Ass came out, they, they made fun of the knife trope, uh, you know, to where they were just kind of like, you know, any you know human being like spider-man or like daredevil you know any guy with a knife can just kind of go up to him and stab him like it wouldn't be that hard to just like run him over or to drop an anvil or a piano on top of them and then they'd be they'd be done with you know they'd be over and the amazing spider-man kind of addressed that to where you know they were making fun of you know, Spider-Man was making fun of uh, someone with a knife and he was kind of like cowering in fear, you know, but it was sarcastically and it was, you know, kind of mocking him. And then he kind of uses web slingers and just kind of looked um, as dark and as sinister as, as he ever has before. And here's kind of the same thing. You have to address it to where Daredevil, you know, he, he doesn't have spider-like, you know, he wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider. He doesn't have you know the strength of 10 men or, or or whatever you know he's he he's he is still a regular guy and his physicality is in top peak condition um but he's still just human he doesn't have any superhuman abilities to to him and so this is daredevil kind of addressing kind of that that knife issue that seems to come up with all of these kind of grounded superheroes to where it's just kind of like you know he can get stabbed and he can get hurt and brutally get hurt um 
but he overcomes it. And so I don't know, for some reason, it just seems to be a conscious effort to where it's like that, that same knife. And it's probably literally the same knife that shows up in, in all those movies, Kick-Ass, The Amazing Spider-Man, and now Daredevil on Netflix, to where it's kind of like, you know, what are you going to do with this knife? You know, how are you going to deal with this? You know, and it's just, it, it's funny that every superhero that is not really a superhero has to deal with that knife issue. It just seems to come up here, uh, here and there. So there was a piece right there uh, in the New York Bulletin. Was that written by uh, Ben Urich? Uh, I think after a repeat viewing, after a second viewing, you can kind of almost assume that it was coming from Urich, um, but it doesn't explicitly say, here we hear Wilson Fisk's voice, um, you know, Wesley answering to him and just telling him, you know, all the loose ends are, you know, were tightened up. Uh, we just got to get Karen Page. She's the last one. And um, and uh, they have these these black vehicles that they use and they drive around everywhere. This one, for some reason, is not tinted. It doesn't look like. And then um, and then the ones that Wilson Fisk um, right around in is is tinted. Um, and and they also have the the uh, the taxi service which they give to the Russians and the Russians kind of work that for a while and kind of generate a, a an honest wage um, aside from all the you know human trafficking and and all that other dirty stuff that they're involved in um, so cars <laughs> for some reason cars is is a big deal because it was in the motion poster you know the the uh, the taxi um, not only building, but a taxi from that building, you know, um, interacts with the foggy, the motion poster. So for some reason, um, you know, is it kind of a subtle product placement? I'm not sure. Um, and so here's Karen Page, Foggy, um, Matt. They're uh, enjoying each other's company. Karen surprisingly cooks well. Um, Matt likes it and, and kind of gives her little looks, non-looks, because he's blind. Do I say looks for a blind person, or how does that work? Um, but that's really the only interact at, romantic interaction that we see between Matt and Karen. From there, it kind of branches off into um, uh, Karen and Foggy. Here's Matt entering into Fogwell's gym. Um, I love the notion of Fogwell's gym. There's so many different things that Matt could do with this. Here, it's, you know, he doesn't own it or anything like that. Um, I think that he should own it at some point um, later on in the in the series. Um, you know, maybe it breaks down or something like that. Um, or, it, um, or it goes out of business. Right now, it's still in business, um, but he can kind of like revamp it on his own if he becomes, you know, financially successful. I don't know if he's gonna be financially successful anytime soon with that, uh, with that paper hanging off his door for uh, for the sign. There's the Creel versus Murdoch poster, which they'll get into, which is a setup for episode two. Um, it's a reference back to uh, Daredevil Yellow, and um, Creel is also in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, this is a cool little, like, um, montage that kind of looks like Rocky, but kind of like in a dark way, um, to where we see Matt training and exercising his power, and at the same time, we see Wilson Fisk and sort of the crime underworld exercising their power with you know killing off all the loose ends um and the embezzlement that's going on with leland you know him controlling books and um and then we're also going to get a little taste of of uh, madame gal her warehouse um her uh importing drugs and in, into uh to north america and to to the east coast and uh they have a little reference to the steel serpent, which uh, we see the symbol here of um, 
which is a little reference to Iron Fist. Yeah, it's cool. All those guys are blind. Um, here we have Nobu, um, you know, already planning out uh, where he wants kind of his his own Shadowland Tower or whatever, um, where he wants to uh, to get the hand into uh, to Hell's Kitchen. Here's Turk back on the streets, thrown back into circulation. He's being recycled at this point um, by a gun, which is um, which is a setup for uh, the beginning of episode three. And that smile, you gotta love that smile. I love I love this guy who plays Turk. You know, he when he smiles, I smile. It's it's uh, it's infectious. And here the Russians are doing their thing with uh, with. Uh, with beating up the dad and uh, and uh, kidnapping the son, which will be a major setup for episode two, um, that will pay off in the all the way to the very last second. Um, so we get a good idea of who Matt is and also what he's up against, or or at least a little taste of it. And um, here's the shot right here. Here's a shot that's in uh, a lot of the trailers, a couple of them. And, um, you know, he's using his abilities um, it, within the context of the story. And I remember I said that in a previous episode. And I was like, you know, he's using his abilities. This is also a callback to uh, to Daredevil Yellow to where, you know, he jumps on top of, of a building and he tries to um, he tries to locate Karen. Who, who was abducted so same concept uh except it's not karen she's not uh, a damsel in distress um rather it's a little boy so the f next episode start in three two one